Welcome to the Pet Industry Podcast, connecting you with the people behind the passion, the leading experts in the pet industry. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Sprinkle. And I'm your other host, Dr. Mary Cope. If you are eating yogurt or other foods with active cultures, i.e. probiotics, it's very likely you are eating a probiotic from the company Chris Hansen. You are probably familiar with probiotics and health in people, but the microbiome is also important for our pets. Chris Hansen knows this and has studied probiotics for pets as well. So we have Dr. Steve here today to talk a little bit about the microbiome and how probiotics can contribute to pet health. Not only is Steve highly knowledgeable about this topic, but he has spent many years educating people about it too. So welcome, Steve. We're very excited to have you. And I would love to know, how did the microbiome and probiotics become such a big part of your life and career? Well, thank you, Megan. I actually started out life in academia as a research scientist and then joined a big pharma company for 20 years. But in 2013, I was approached by a company that was producing probiotics for cattle. And my initial reaction was, I don't know if I want to come work for a company that sells foo-foo dust. (laughs) And the CEO and hiring manager said, I appreciate that position, but can I send you some stuff? And he ended up sending me via FedEx 50 research articles And that began my understanding of this space of probiotics and their impact on the microbiome and gut health. And quite honestly, I have fallen in love with the subject. I think it is such a rich area for improving the health of people and all of the animals in our care. And it also speaks to efficiency of agriculture and sustainability. So it encompasses so many of the things that I hold dear and sacred, and it's an area where I can learn something new every day, which is something I think we should all endeavor to do. So I think a great place to start is what is the microbiome and what are probiotics? So how do you define those things? Well, I'll start with the simpler one first. Probiotics are defined by the World Health Organization and the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations as living organisms that when administered in an adequate quantity confer a health benefit to their host. And that's a very reasonable definition for probiotics. We tend to think of it really as a tool that you can use to keep yourself healthy and functioning normally And you can use to supplement those animals in your care to keep their digestive systems healthy and normal. So those are probiotics. We see it as a tool. When you feed them in adequate quantities, typically daily, you confer a health benefit to the host. And the health benefit is something that is an essential element of that definition. The microbiome is a bit more complex. We are covered and contain about 14 trillion living microorganisms that live on us, on our skin, in our eyes, in our entire digestive system from the mouth to the opening at the other end. And collectively, if you're speaking about the organisms themselves, the correct term is microbiota. That is, who is there, the organisms. It used to be called the gut flora or the microflora, which literally means tiny plants, has no bearing on living organisms. So microbiota is much more correct. And then when you look to describe what it is that they might be doing based on their genetics, the entire collection of the genetics of those microorganisms is referred to as the microbiome. Now, sometimes what happens with very technical definitions, they become interchangeable, and now the term microbiome seems to work to mean all things related to these trillions of living organisms that are in and on us that help us stay healthy and normal, or if they become disturbed or disrupted, can lead to significant dysfunction. Now, 
What is the effect that probiotics have on the microbiome? A great question, Mary. When you look at the scientific evidence, probiotics do a lot of things in our digestive system. They can secrete digestive enzymes to help us get nutrients out of feed. They can interact with the cells that line our intestines to improve absorptive capacity. So you can digest nutrients and you can absorb them to use in your body. They can impact such things as our immune functions and the barrier functions that keeps things from moving from in our digestive system into our bodies. But they can also interact directly with the trillions of organisms that are in our gut and the animals in our care and directly impact their composition and the relative abundance of certain organisms. And we are hoping that they increase the abundance of positive actors, either symbiotic or probiotic organisms and minimally commensal organisms, but they can also reduce the concentration and relative abundance of potentially harmful organisms. The one term we like to use that encompasses all of those changes is that it really results in a more robust microbiome, one that's able to withstand internal and external stresses. And that's one of the visible benefits when you have a balanced, healthy, robust microbiome because of your diet and maybe the supplementation of probiotics or prebiotics or other microbiome acting materials, then the outward sign is normalcy. You're healthy and active, you feel good, and there's tremendous evidence that when you have a healthy, well-balanced microbiome in the gut, that the, that collection of organisms can communicate in a variety of ways with our brains. They can go directly through a nerve, the vagus nerve. It can be through hormonal signaling. It can be through other small molecule signals that get to our brain that affect our mental health and well-being. And this is one of the things that I love most about this science is you can think about eating something and getting it into your body, but when you can demonstrate that it impacts how you feel cognitively, that is a remarkable find and some great science. And I definitely want to talk more about all the nutritional benefits from probiotics, but I'd like to start with because as you're talking about this, in my mind, I'm visioning like this little city inside of the body. <laughs> and then what we eat is like sunny with a chance of meatballs. You know, we may change up that little city's life. And you, you talked about microorganisms and they're not all the same. And the same thing with the probiotics that we're eating, that, you know, one probiotic is not the same as another. So if people are looking on the label, especially like me, who's a nerd and I look at labels, you can see all sorts of different funny words that are all technically microbiome or probiotics that are in these products. So you have a really cool way of explaining the differences and how important the difference of the different strains of probiotics are. So do you mind sharing that a little bit? Not at all. When you look at the packaging you describe for probiotics, whether they're for humans, for our pets, or for production animals, we are required by federal law to include the genus and species, the Latin terms, for the organisms that are contained in our products. Genus and species are two of the classifications zoologists use to identify all animals from kingdom, phylum, family, class, order, and then genus and species. Well, everyone listening to this call is likely a homo sapien. In fact, the same genus and species, genus homo sapiens, which means wise, kind of an interesting name for us, wise people. But it is our unique genetic gifts that we bring to bear to our lives that is what makes us unique. The same thing is true for strains of bacteria which are an individual organism and all of its trillions and trillions of nearly identical clonal copies. So I say all dogs on planet Earth that we know and we love 
If you look at genus and species, they are Canis lupus. All wolves on planet Earth are also Canis lupus. We give dogs a subspecies of familiaris to make ourselves understand that we do control the breeding of most dogs. But if you had to pick a dog for a particular purpose, let's say that you wanted to have an individual that protected your property from attacks from coyotes, you might pick a 320-pound English Mastiff that from nose to tail was eight and a half foot long. It obeyed every word you uttered. It loved your children unconditionally, and it hated coyotes. And this dog, all 320 pounds of it, could sit on your front porch and look out over your property and anything that comes, it's going to alert you and then be a deterrent. Or you could pick a Papillon, a six-pound dog that may alert you that something's there, may bite the ankles of your neighbors when they come on your porch, but may not be the best choice to defend your property against a pack of coyotes, in truth. And this is just a trivial example of selecting an individual based on its genetic gifts to satisfy a particular purpose. So when you're looking for probiotics, manufacturers like Christian Hansen sort through thousands of strains. We have 50,000 strains in our strain bank, and we try to identify those based on their genetics that might be good candidates for a particular purpose. An organism that secretes a huge array of digestive enzymes, an organism that secretes antimicrobial peptides to eliminate potential harmful organisms from our gut, organisms that are very good at demonstrably balancing the microbiome. And then we find three or four or five candidates. We identify the best ones. And then we try to combine these organisms into a combination, knowing that they have these specific genetic gifts, but we also want them to play well together. We don't want them to outcompete each other. This is one of the aspects of probiotics that cannot be ignored. People say, if it's got 25 or 30 things on the label, that must be better than one that has three or four things on the label, or even one or two. But in simple truth, Unless those 20 or 30 things are demonstrably able to play well together, then you really don't get the full benefits. If they're competing one with another, then that's not what you're looking for. You want things that are at least additive, if not multiplicative, in their actions. And that's what makes the best probiotics, those that have a multiplying effect of the combination of organisms that are in them. So probiotics for pet periods come in many different forms. They come in packets with powders. They come in chewable tablets. They come in capsules. And even to the point that you can get refrigerated probiotics versus dried versus wet, all sorts of different kinds. Is there a certain type that works better than others? I know marketing-wise, there's a lot of push around some varieties over others. But when it comes down to it, do the probiotics themselves care about what state they're in? Excellent question. The, the choices, as you know, are many. And marketing is invariably a facet of all things that are sold to the public. The best probiotics come in two major uh, classes of organisms. They are lactic acid type bacteria. They can be lactobacilli or bifidobacteria or enterococci. But what they do especially well is produce acids from sugars that reduces the pH in the gut. And a reduced pH is very good at inhibiting potentially harmful organisms. These lactic acid type bacteria are typically non-motile. You consume them, you put them into a place that's very dark, right temperature, low oxygen. They attach to the mucus layer of your intestinal tract, and they spread out like a carpet. They spread by dividing, 
there's two, then there's four, then there's eight, then there's 16, and soon there's millions in an area. And in that area, they produce a relatively high concentration of acids that is excellent for improving the health of the gut. And they really are designed to work well in the host. They want to be in the host animal because they're not motile. They can't move. The host carries them around, will occasionally put them back out into the environment in a nutrient-rich material. Let's put it that way. (laughs) And of course, that's one strategy. The other type of organisms are bacillus-type organisms that are spore formers. These organisms and bacteria have been on Earth for about 3.2 billion years. These organisms evolved in dirt. They are extremely good at survival. And those that are prevalent in the modern world have been engaged in active germ warfare for 3.2 billion years and counting. Those that work well in the digestive system really don't care where they are. They are motile. They're moving. They call to one another using a very beautiful system called quorum sensing. They basically send out pheromones into the environment, these little peptides. And because they can swim, they move towards each other. And when they get together, they produce more of that same chemical that cause more of them, and their strategy is to form biofilms. So rather than spreading out like a carpet passively, these organisms come together and work together in a syncytial group, a collective, a colony, a biofilm. And in that area, the concentration of digestive enzymes can be staggeringly high, which is fantastic. The concentration of antimicrobial peptides because these guys are trying to kill their competitors in that same space. But luckily, they are very fond of lactobacilli. They're non-motile. They don't compete in the same space. So they do very well together. So when you're looking for products that are refrigerated in the grocery store, then they can be these lactic acid type bacteria that are usually freeze-dried and then kept cool to increase their durability or their shelf life. There are freeze-dried products and spored products that you can find literally on the shelf at room temperature that are quite stable. The goal is to find one that works best for your pets. If you have fur babies that you're interested in supplementing with probiotics, then the choices are find it in a pet food that you like, that they would do well on, or find a supplement that you can provide every day and you know that they're getting what you're feeding them into their bodies. And they should be happy and healthy and active with shiny coats, everything that we look for. A digestive upset should be non-existent or at best exceedingly rare. And you should find the choice of probiotic that is affordable, that you find to be convenient, and that your furry babies love and can tolerate well. So I would recommend find one that satisfies convenience and the way you want to provide it and try it for a month. If you see a positive result, then stay on it. If not, then consider switching to another. I would recommend the same thing for you and all of your listeners that if you want to choose a probiotic, Find one that works for you. If the first ones you choose don't seem to do the trick, then try another. And eventually, I'm confident that you will find one that your lifestyle and your diet is best tuned to and your genetics. And the same thing would be true for those in our care. Now, there are a lot of claims made about the ability of probiotics to improve certain issues. From improving eye discharge and draining to assisting with weight loss, improving immunity, improving digestion, there's no doubt that some of those claims are definitely backed by science, but is there a limit to what probiotics can provide for pets? We see 
the biggest positive impact from probiotics when individuals are in a challenged environment. Some of our best data would be from pets that are chronically exposed to allergens in the spring. And when they're given the medication to help them deal with the allergies, they become afflicted with diarrhea. And we have seen that in those circumstances, providing probiotics prevents the diarrhea. When you look at normal, healthy pets, in all sincerity, I believe providing probiotics is of the same exact philosophy as getting them vaccinated. You don't ever want your pets to be exposed to the things that you vaccinate them for. You don't want them to ever be exposed to distemper or hepatitis or leptospirosis or rabies. So you vaccinate them to know if, in fact, they're ever exposed, they are protected against those tragic, life-threatening illnesses. The same logic is there, in my mind, for probiotics. If they have a healthy, well-balanced microbiome, when they run out and find something to eat that they shouldn't eat, maybe this will be some insurance that the disturbance they're about to experience throughout their digestive system doesn't result in a clinical manifestation of a problem or in even transient diarrhea or vomiting. And if that's the best case scenario for the reason for using probiotics, that's probably enough. But if you have issues that are obviously systemic in nature, that it's inflammation, it's an arthritic animal, there are other metabolic issues, then probiotics and all the evidence from human literature would support this may have a very beneficial impact on things like systemic inflammation or on cognitive function. So in my mind, I look at the science to say, should there be a reason to believe they should work? And if that's the case, then it's the same philosophy for me as vaccination. We typically don't make overt claims about fixing problems because we want to keep animals normal and healthy and avoid problems. And if you can keep them normal and healthy, that's a huge win over trying to correct a problem when it arises which is why we recommend feeding probiotics every day to every individual every, all the time and keep them healthy and normal. That's the goal. I think it's an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Is that how it goes? At least. Yes. And, and in, in current vet bills, it's probably a, an ounce of prevention is worth $300 in cures. Yeah. Something oh, like this. Three hundred. It's. I think it's at another zero these days. But listening to a lot of what you've said so far, it sounds like uh, my big takeaway is it's a, there can be some complications to this because of how the microbiome works and how it interacts with the entire body, whether it's a person or a pet. But also my takeaway is you want somebody who knows what they're doing <laughs> because it's complex and it takes some science to it. So with that science that you've seen is can this You've said that there are some individual variations. So what may work for one pet may not be the best for another. But are there some like species differences as in a probiotic for a person? Could that be used for a dog? Or do you see benefit of having something that's specifically been looked at for either dogs or cats or other pets? This is a classic question in the science. <laughs> Do you need to have organisms that arose in the species that you're interested in now feeding that same organism? This is a very logical concept, right? I need something that I know does well in people, that has a positive action in people. We found it in the intestinal tract of a person We've isolated it, we've identified its genetics, and if I pr provide it back, it has a benefit. 
Same thing would be true for dogs. And we do look for those organisms that were selected from cats and from dogs. We look at their genetics and we say, okay, this is an Enterococcus faecium. It's this strain. And it has, based on its entire set of genetics, because we analyze the genome and we look for then close relatives that are not the same strain, but are similar and maybe even more potent in that same genetic area that we're looking for, maybe enzyme production or the ability to inhibit potentially harmful organisms. So we learn from what we find in those individuals, but we need not limit ourselves to the exact strain that came from that species, the Canis lupus strain or the Gallus strain for chickens, for example. And we do have some evidence that bacilli, for example, that again, originated in dirt, they are probiotic in people, in dogs, in pigs, in chickens, in cattle. And you simply find strains that are very effective at doing what they do. And you can put that into feed and food and see an obvious benefit because of their mode of action and what they bring for the individual. And if you think about it logically, the digestive system of mammals is about the same, right? Unless you're talking about a ruminant that has a big fermentation vat in the middle, but we're a monogastric species. Dogs and cats are monogastric. We have a similar function. Yes, there are some subtle differences, of course, but in general, where we digest sugars and where we digest proteins and fats is the same. We have a gallbladder that holds bile salts that we put into our duodenum and we have a fatty meal. So it should not surprise us that microbiome acting organisms can work across a variety of mammals. That should not surprise us in any way. And in fact, the evidence is that they do. And we can use a lot of the complementary science that was garnered in humans when we look for the physiology of pets and the impact of probiotics in those organs, organisms. We had one question that was interested in, can you actually have too much probiotic? So can you consume too much? I was very eager to understand, had there ever been a case of, of an overdose or of an infection that came from consuming probiotic organisms? And if you scour the scientific literature, you can find examples when people are extremely ill near the end of life because of some horrific medical issue, extensive terminal cancer or horrific bowel problems. If they're supplemented with a probiotic like lactobacillus, which in healthy people is nothing but probiotic, then their digestive system is so ravaged that these organisms can leave the digestive system, go into their body, and cause a systemic infection. Now, they're not potentially pathogenic organisms, so you find them in the bloodstream, which is not what you want, but they're not of any additional harm. Those were the only examples I could find in the scientific literature. It's very hard to overdose with a probiotic. Typically, the concentrations of probiotics that we're feeding are in the billions, maybe tens of billions of organisms, or they're going into trillions, a thousand-fold bigger. And the organisms in your digestive system aren't staying static. They're dividing all the time themselves. So you reach a steady-state turnover 
of what you take in, of what grows and dies and what gets passed out. So providing tens of billions of organisms is of no consequence. If you ate a thousand pills and you're saying, okay, I'm going to replace my microbiome, that might be a little extreme. And I don't know that anybody's tested that, but I can tell you, I can tell you quite interestingly in early studies of germ-free animals back in the early days when we we're trying to understand what the microbiome actually does. Well, if you're a germ-free mouse or a germ-free piglet and you remain germ-free, you will not survive for any reasonable period of time. Your a sterile digestive system simply doesn't work. So the early scientists would reintroduce a set of organisms, six or eight or 10, that would reestablish a rudimentary microbiome and enable these germ-free animals to survive and in many instances to thrive. And the organisms that they chose to use would be similar to the commensal and probiotic organisms that we speak about in a normal microbiome. So putting in just six different organisms is able to reestablish a semi-normal life. So even if you were to take a probiotic and flush the system, that would be very short-lived. I don't think it will result in a terminal problem. You may have some digestive upset almost immediately, but this would be an extreme, an extreme instance under any practical sense I don't believe there's any way to OD on a probiotic. You're more likely to OD on the carrier of the probiotic than you would be on the organisms, in fact. And I feel like you should note, please, we do not recommend anyone trying to see how many they can tolerate. So please, don't yes, please stick please, to label yes. instructions. Yes, label instructions always. I think we've talked a little bit about this throughout, but I'd like to give you that opportunity to summarize what are some of the top nutritional benefits of probiotics specifically in pets? When you think about why you would choose a probiotic, you want to keep your pets normal and healthy. Logically, you're feeding something. So when you're providing pet foods, you want your dog to derive the nutrients out of that food that are on the label. That's why you've made the choice. You put out good money to buy quality product. You want to make sure that product is actually doing some good for those that you're feeding. Probiotics can improve the ability of your pet to digest those nutrients because of the enzymes they can produce. If there's more nutrients available, to be absorbed and the surface area of the intestinal tract is healthy, then they will absorb those nutrients. There's a beautiful resource allocation model of life that says, based on your genetics, when you take nutrients in, you will allocate those to initially where you need them for maintenance of your body, for defense, but then to have energy to play, to have energy to express yourself, if you will. And to, to do those activities that we would say are normal of healthy, active pets. We also know they can improve the capacity of our pets to exert an immune response. So if they do face a challenge and their bodies are able to respond quickly, then the challenge can remain subclinical without an overt expression. And you never see a change in the health status of your pets. This is a major win. And probiotics can help with that immune status if a challenge arises. The other thing, and we talked about it at length, is you want to feed probiotics that have a microbiome impact. And the impact is to improve the robustness of that microbiome, its ability to withstand collectively challenges that it faces. 
from the environmental challenges, from physiologic challenges, from physical challenges. These are opportunities to see problems with your pets. And if you can maintain a healthy, beneficially balanced microbiome by feeding probiotics, then your chance of having a healthy, normal pet goes up. So that's the bottom line message. You feed this because you want normal and healthy. And normal and healthy is worth pursuing always because the fewer times you're cleaning up vomit or diarrhea, that's a win. And this is what the last survey results, that more people are concerned about digestive health and then oral health. And when you can improve both by including active probiotics in your pet's food, that's a win and very well worth the investment, particularly if in addition to what you can see and measure, if you're improving the cognitive capacity and how your pet feels, its emotional and intellectual well-being, that is truly a win, that they feel better and act better. Now, I've got one anecdotal tale I love to tell back when we were looking at probiotics, we provided some probiotics to our employee base and then asked for reporting back how they do. And one of our key account managers had a couple of dogs. I won't tell you what they are yet, but he had an old one of these and a young one of these. And he swore that the older one had much more energy than he used to. But he was talking about Jack Russell Terriers. And I don't know how you can measure more energy on a Jack Russell, but I have to assume it was an honest statement. And But he said, the old dog, you could tell he was a bit older, but we put him on probiotics for three weeks and he was running with the young dog. You couldn't tell them apart in terms of their energy level. And I took that as a an amazing testimonial. Thank God we didn't make the young Jack Russell more energetic. I don't know what he would have done with that. <laughs> like you said, at the end of the day, we want happy puppies and good poops. So <laughs> it sounds that's, that's like that's, yeah, we're on the right track here. And yes. we mentioned a few different ways that we can consume probiotics. But one that we haven't fully talked about is actually within the complete and balanced food, which if you want to give something on a daily basis, if we can wrap it in with the food that they already have to eat, that's fantastic. Now, I do know that there are some challenges to getting probiotics into a a product that needs to be cooked. So how do you overcome the challenge of keeping these little microorganisms, which are alive, and they don't like to be cooked? So how do you keep them still alive to get them into the cat or the dog food bag to get to the pet? So there are a few options. You can certainly consider using bacilli that form spores and are at least semi-tolerant to heat about 203 degrees Fahrenheit. If you go beyond that, you're still going to kill those bacillus spores. And what many pet food companies have done, and it's another level of science, rather than feeding living probiotics... They actually provide prebiotic fibers, and these fibers can go through the entire extrusion process. They are in the kibble pieces, and they are certainly an alternative to probiotics. But I prefer the idea of providing living organisms. We recommend that pet food companies apply these probiotics post-pelleting, so after they've made their kibbles, they're going to spray on flavoring. This is the right time to apply our freeze-dried or sporulated bacteria so that they remain viable in the package on the shelf for six months, a year, depending upon the product. And it is certainly one of the most convenient ways you're providing pet food anyway if it contains a probiotic, it certainly checks the easy box. And then you know that the manufacturer has put in the right concentration. It's labeled on the bag. You know you're getting it. 
they've made this choice, hopefully based on the science of the manufacturer of those probiotic organisms. And as the populace of our country is understanding probiotics for themselves, we know that those who take probiotics are more likely to give probiotics to their pets, but they're also doing their homework. They want to understand the science of probiotics. They want to know, is one genus and species different or better than another? What are they? What claims are they making? Are those claims backed by good science? Do they make sense? Am I going to see this? And we love educating our potential consumers because we believe, and one of the things I love most about working at Christian Hansen is the investment that we make in good science of probiotic bacteria. And when we provide those to pet food companies, we know that they're going to survive. They're going to be consumed at or above the package label because we label them for the end of shelf life to make sure they're there. And we want to make sure that we abide by the definition of a probiotic when fed in adequate quantities, confer a health benefit to the host, in this case, a pet. And this is what others I know are doing also in that industry. There's too much regulatory scrutiny and our consumer base is much is highly educated and trying to make the most informed choices for the, their loved ones. And we want to ensure that they're able to do that in a meaningful way. Thank you. That's exactly why we have this podcast and invite people like yourself on. So couldn't have said it better myself. And I think the other thing that I know I and I think that pet owners are interested in as well is the future, what to look for. In your opinion, what are some of the most exciting things in this space that you're that you see coming? This link of the microbiome with type 1 and type 2 diabetes, with the spectrum of autism, with so many things. And I give examples when we initially conversed about having this podcast. I said two of the stories I love to tell are about babies with colic. And there's a study in the Journal of Pediatric Medicine that does a beautiful example of a double-blind, placebo-controlled study where 192 babies were enrolled because they all had colic. They were crying for an average of 140 minutes a day, plus or minus 30 minutes, which is a lot of crying. I don't care who you are, <laughs> you, it's a lot of crying. And they, the babies, the 96 babies that consumed a probiotic, within one week, they had significantly less crying than their placebo control counterparts. By the end of three weeks, they were down to 60 minutes. So half the crying. They also did a pediatric quality of life score on the parents, looking at social, emotional, and physical functioning. And lo and behold, those parents whose babies were crying less scored higher. What a concept. What do you know? But if you want evidence that a probiotic works and can impact not only the individual consuming the probiotic, but the person providing the care for that individual. Because when your pet is healthy and sound, you feel better about what you've done to achieve that. And when you're not, when you're not picking up your pet from the vet or you're not cleaning up after your pet because they felt so poorly, they couldn't get outside in time to relieve themselves, your pet didn't want to do that. You didn't want that to happen. And if you can prevent, that's a major win. The other story I tell is on necrotizing enterocolitis. This is a problem that happens in neonatal intensive care units with very early preterm infants. They can get an infection in their intestinal tract that is incompatible with life. And it is called necrotizing enterocolitis, NEC for short. There's two studies, both published in reputable journals, pediatrics and the journal pediatrics, where in the first study, 144 babies and the second study, 1100 babies were looked at. And bottom line, 
the probiotics used in that study, a triple blend of probiotics, significantly reduced the pain and suffering, and in one case, the mortality of these neonatal infants. And if you want to talk about the most high-risk population, it's those preemies that are in a NICU. And if probiotics can demonstrably, positively affect their lives, then that's every reason in the world to believe that the science is real and that it works. And because of things like that and the investment of billions of dollars done in medical science for people, we, companies like Christian Hansen and others, are going to leapfrog to the best technologies to be able to understand what is happening in the microbiome of those in our care, pets in this case, or production animals. And we're going to take full advantage of the understanding of genetics that is the very heart of understanding the microbiome. Because it really is what's going on, and trillions of organisms is tough to comprehend just how big a number that really is. The two examples I give, a trillion $1 bills, if you lay them end to end, goes from the earth to the sun. That's 92 million miles is a trillion dollars. It just, it's a staggering number. And you're trying to keep that in balance. And the science of how to do that is relatively new. And as we learn more, then we will be able to bring ever-increasingly better solutions to that market. And it may eventually be a combination of both probiotics and prebiotic fibers because we understand that is going to confer the biggest benefit to the host organism. And that's what I'm looking forward to as I continue in this journey. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we did full circle. The Back to curiosity and how you got involved and why you stay in it, it sounds. Yeah, I think this is such an interesting area because we do have so much more to learn and it is exciting every time we learn a little bit more. So absolutely, being a scientist is fun. It's, uh, I also, I'm also very, I tease all the time that the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act of the United States, that is the law of the land that governs how we speak about probiotics, for example, mm -hmm. it was signed into law in 1938 by Franklin Delano Roosevelt. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> every, I think everyone would agree with me that our understanding of microbiology may have improved just a little bit since 1938. And of course, as with many technologies, it doesn't increase in a linear manner. Technologies increase in a geometric manner so that you increase at an ever-increasing rate. And I think that is exactly what is happening. When you look at genetics, when I was in graduate school, they were talking about the Human Genome Project, and they were mm -hmm. going to map the human genome, how many decades this was going to take. But then all the technologies, you now get a little tube at home, you put some spit in that tube, you send it back to 23andMe, and there's other companies, I'm not endorsing one or another, but <laughs> you then get a genetic analysis that gives you your heritage and how you know, how amazing that they can now do this commercially for a hundred bucks when 40 years ago, the science didn't even exist to frame the conversation. And now it's commonplace. And 10 years from now, you're going to do that same thing at the gas station. You're going to put your thumb on a little device and it's going to print out your entire genetic composition. <laughs> Maybe I'm exaggerating slightly, but it will certainly be more readily available, more easily done. We'll have our the genetic map of our children eventually because that'll become commonplace and we'll deduce things about them and it's it probably will be helpful going forward. And this is where the, the level of science hopefully will, again, improve our capacity to do good for ourselves, our loved ones, and those in our care. Yes. 
Thank you so much. For anybody who wants to dive deeper, we actually have several different articles on our website about this. So we can definitely link those in the description. I think Chris Hansen also is writing one for us as well. So we'll have that one in the links. So we always like to end on a fun note and learn a little bit more about you and especially pets. We're all about pets here. So do you do you have pets? And if so, who are your pets? Well, yeah, actually, the we had we have cats. And we had two cats that were my wife and mine, and we sent them to come here to Boston to live with my daughter. And then we had a cat who, a princess who died at 17 plus, so a very good long life. We then got another tuxedo cat, a male, and Bandit is his name. And then my son just moved into his first house with his fiance and we abandoned now goes and has gone and to live with him. So my wife and I are currently petless, but traveling to see our kids. So I don't know what the next chapter of pets will be, but, but it's been great having, serving cats, right? Every dog has an owner. Every cat has slaves. So we've been, we've served our cats very well and they've been healthy and lived good long lives. So for that, I'm proud, but it's very interesting having a cat, I must say. It is a unique experience and relationship. And I, we definitely don't have time for this, but I would love it. Do you, we do have some research to show like the benefits of having like kids growing up with pets and things like that. So if you are interested in hearing about microbiome with all that, if you are interested in that, maybe we can have you back. <laughs> there you um, go. A lot more to talk about for sure. So thank you so much for your time, Dr. Lerner. Very glad to have you here. My absolute pleasure, Megan. Very happy to be here. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Industry Podcast, a BSM Partners production with editing by Cliff Dubinois. Your podcast team is me, Dr. Megan Sprinkle, and Whitney Russell. If you want to learn more about our family at BSM, please visit our website at bsmpartners.net. And please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, tell a friend and find us here next time.